we have been doing a short four-week run-through study on recognized servant leadership within the body of Christ, specifically within local congregation, and even more specifically in this congregation. We have been using two different uh, resources. Um, One, uh, they smell like sheep, and some things out of volume two as well, by Lynn Anderson, and um, three books from Effective Elders, E2, Estep, Road Cup, and Johnson. And we started with this statement right here, which is in a section that Estep actually wrote. But as the leadership goes, so goes the congregation. True statement, yes or yes? Yes. It's a very, very important thing. In fact, within looking at our organization in, because we're family as well, right? Who you put into recognized leadership is probably the most serious and should be the most solemn choices that you make. Not just for the business end, but for the family end. Right? The recognized service servant leaders should be moving in one mind and should be moving the gospel forward. They should be helping us to stay true to scripture. They should be equipping each one of us to be vibrant ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our movement is relatively young. Our movement started, well, an official date would be around 1809, a little over 200 years ago. There are some tenets that are within our movement that uh, we don't talk about an awful lot. And in fact, I'm just going to run through a few of them really quickly. If anything here catches your eye, you want to hear more about it, this could make a sermon series. You could let the preacher know if you want to go deeper, and we'll do that. But just a few things that we put forward as a movement of things that we see as truths. One, where the scripture speaks, we speak. Where the scripture is silent, we are silent. If there's a thus saith the Lord, that's what we do. If there is something that has to be interpreted, we're going to allow for some differences of opinion. The church of Jesus Christ on earth is essentially, intentionally, and constitutionally one. Body of Christ is one. We are not the only Christians, but we seek to be Christians only. Now, I'm going to pause just for a second. I've heard this since I've been growing up. But I've been in a lot of congregations where they, they fail to practice this. But it is a tenet of our movement. The leaders of our movement would never say they are not Christians in other sectors of Christianity. What they would say is that by the building up of a tremendous amount 
of polity, a tremendous, tremendous amount of um, church tradition, that when you get stuck on that and you're not really looking at the Bible, you have the potential of being misled. By the way, that would be us too. We want to do things the way the Bible says, but we recognize that there are other people who understand that Jesus was God made flesh, that he came down to earth, that he taught, he died, he rose again, and he is our one and only path to heaven. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. That is our starting point. But where scripture is silent, where we have some differences of opinion, we allow for that. Yes? We are not the only Christians, but we seek to be Christians only. In essentials, unity. In opinion, liberty. And in all things, love. Yes? No creed but Christ, no book but the Bible, no law but love, no name but the divine. That's why we are Christians only. And call Bible things by Bible names and do Bible things in Bible ways. In other words, as a movement, we seek to be as much like the first century church as we can be within our culture, within our society today. We try to pattern ourselves after the first century church, patterning our faith and our practice out of our understanding of New Testament scripture. That is why we meet on the first day of the week. Why? Because we see that was the pattern of the first century church. We meet for prayer, for instruction in the apostles' teaching, for taking of the Lord's Supper. And anytime we see that we have veered away from that first century model, we should humbly try to return to it. We have been looking at a biblical model for recognized leadership, for servant leadership. And we've looked at the call that's given. We've looked at the character of the individual. And this week we're going to look at what Scripture says about how servant leaders should be recognized. Now, all I plan to do is read the Scripture and what it says and be honest about what it does say and what it does not say. Now, I believe if you listen and you engage without critique, you will see that the Scripture supports much of your understanding and much of what we are trying to do. Before we finish digesting this, though, um, I hope you have an opportunity to examine everything that you've been taught on this subject. I hope that you will find a time to think about if what you believe is true actually is true. And having done that, that you will decide if you are willing, if need be, to humbly adjust 
to where truth is. Do you believe in the inerrancy of God's word? Do you believe that scripture is Holy Spirit inspired? Do you believe that God's main path for speaking to us today is through his holy scripture? Are you diligently seeking every day to pattern your life on the truth that we find in the word of God? If your answer is yes, all I'm asking is that you allow yourself to be open to the whole counsel of God. Now, when it comes to actually how leaders within the body of Christ are uh, picked, appointed, all of that kind of a thing, we have to posit, we have to say and agree from the beginning that Scripture says very little about the selection process. And what it does say, we don't want to summarily ignore. There's two main sections in Scripture that we look at. Uh, one is the writings of Luke in Acts specifically, which is what we're going to look at today. And this is a two-parter. Next week, we're going to look at the writings of Paul. Now, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus appointed and trained the first leaders himself. What do we call them? We call them the apostles, yes? The word apostle means one sent on the authority of another, yes? Kind of equates to our word ambassador today. But the apostles, these were specialized leaders at that point in time because they were witnesses of the risen Christ directly called and trained and commissioned by Lord Jesus. And we have to remember that Judas... Even Judas was part of this hand-chosen group. Judas, who sought to line his own pockets. And we know that after Jesus was crucified, what did Judas do? He went out and what? He hung himself. Okay? Now, we're going to talk about dealing with... um, those who do not lead well. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. We're not going to get into it this week, but we'll talk about it next week. Well, when Judas left, it left a gap among the 12. And Peter gets up and he addresses the group of the 120 disciples that are there, and he explains the need for why Judas needs to be replaced among the 12. And then we get in Acts down about verse 21, and we read this. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. And what did they do? So they proposed two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, there's an indication people went by more than one name, yes? And Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two 
Who has chosen? You have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Jesus, Judas left to go where he belongs. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Slight aside here, that casting of the lots was a very Jewish thing. They did this in the temple. Um, it's not quite rolling dice today, but it's kind of that thing, kind of a thing where there would be a selection and it would be random. And the idea was, is they threw the lots, but God was in control of how they fell. So they were looking at that as a way of giving God the ability to make the choice through the casting of the lot. Very much a Jewish thing of that day. There are several things here that are specific requirements to be an apostle. You probably saw them. One, they must have known John. By implication, maybe have been one of his disciples. But they at least have had to have been around since then, which would have been at before the ministry of Jesus. Two, they must be a disciple of Christ. They must be somebody who is already learning from Jesus as their teacher, their rabbi, who was learning in order to teach others. Um, or it's, as they say, to study at the feet of the master. Three, they must have seen the resurrection. In other words, they must have seen the resurrected Christ. They had to have been a witness to the fact that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead. Now, Notice the process. Peter, who is in the role of, of elder uh, at this point, leader, brought and explained the need to the group. And gave the group the opportunity to put forth men that they believed fit the need. Then they prayed over them and then let God make the selection. Shortly after this, there is a need for additional recognized leadership over in Acts 6, just moving quickly. In those days, the number of the disciples were increasing. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Remember, this was Passover season. There were people who came from all over the known world. They didn't make trips by plane for a couple of days. It was usually a month or two before or longer in order to build up to go back wherever they came from. And uh, in that time, some men died and their widows were stranded. That's kind of the idea of what's going on. So, the twelve gathered the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. Brothers, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, 
Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a, what's it say, a what? A convert to Judaism. Interesting thought. Have you ever thought about that? One of the first recognized servant deacons within the body of Christ was Gentile. Maybe we'll talk about that later. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Man, there's, did you see that last phrase there? There's a sermon right there. Do you notice that after Jesus resurrected, there were those among the Jewish priesthood who got it? Wonderful thing. The requirements, simple but profound. Men who were full of the Holy Spirit, stated twice in verse 3 and in verse 5, full of wisdom and faith. Now, what is not stated is that they have to have a heart for people. They have to be leaders that are going to be engaged with people. And it's interesting that we only know about two of these that are mentioned in this list of uh, those original deacons. Uh, Stephen, and who's the other one? Philip. Stephen and Philip, right? And you know what? What we don't know is what they did to go about making sure that those Grecian Jewish women were taken care of. That's not what we hear about. The assumption is they did exactly what they were instructed, what they were charged to do. Do you hear, do you see what it is that we do hear about? We hear about their heart for Jesus. We hear about their heart for people. We hear about their preaching and reaching out and bringing others to Jesus. You just start reading Acts right there, you'll see it. Friend, everything we do needs to be about Jesus. We've got this piece of property. There is bushes, there's grass, there's leaves, there's flowers. Friends, we do not need gardeners. What we need are committed Christ followers who realize that first impressions can affect people for Jesus. There are people, there are babies, right? We have nursery. We have things over here for the, for the younger kids, yes? You know what? We don't need babysitters. What we need are people who are willing to minister to young families, to mothers and to dads, by being willing to watch their kids for a scant hour, maybe two, so that they can reconnect to Jesus to make sure that they are giving Jesus to their children. We don't need casseroles for funerals. What we need are willing ministers, people who want to minister to people who are hurting and need Jesus by putting love on a plate. 
Are, are you catching what I'm saying here? The things that seem mundane around here that we need to do, we need to do it for Jesus. Because everything we do, we do for Jesus. Okay, that's a different series. We'll get into that sometime. But deacons, deacons need to have a heart for Jesus. Now, notice the process that's there in Acts 6. A need was recognized. They brought it to the apostles, to the elders of the group at that point, And they explained what the need was. And then what they did was they brought that need to the larger group and explained to them what the need was and gave the group the opportunity to put forth those they thought would fit the need. And that process was covered with prayer. Yes? And then they released them to do their thing. Now, if you notice in Acts 1 and Acts 6, neither of those plays talk about the nuts and bolts about how the selection process was done. We just have a bird's eye idea, bird's eye idea that it was done. What we know is that there was some sort of a vetting process that was utilized in order to be certain that the right kind of people were brought into recognized servant leadership. Deacons were men who were of known character, known faith, and known lordship. Now, what was the process they went about to do that? I got three words for you. Do you know what they are? I don't know, okay? Throughout the generations, this scripture, Acts 6, has actually been applied as a model for both elder and deacon selection. Yet, if we're going to rightly divide scripture, we must posit, we must agree that elder selection is not in view in Acts 6. It does come up other places, but it's not there. And you know what? I heard that growing up. I heard that this was the process and this is what we do. Um, and in fact, I find the thought of thinking that this doesn't apply to elders a little bit offensive and a little bit unnerving. Yet as I seek intellectual and spiritual, scriptural honesty, I can't ignore the fact that Acts 6, that section of scripture, is solely referring to deacon selection. We need to be honest about what scripture says and what it does not say and where it says what it says. And we need to be humble enough to adjust back to it when we realize we have strayed. Now, don't get so distracted that you stop listening to me. There's a lot more we're going to do, a lot more we're going to look at, and we're going to really take a look to examine Scripture before we start drawing any global conclusions. We say that the Bible is our only rule of faith and practice, so let's openly and prayerfully 
Let the Holy Spirit speak to us through it. Sound fair? Okay. The next place we read about elder selection is in Acts 14. Second missionary journey of Paul. They're in that place where they're going over into Asia Minor. They go to the island of Cyprus. They cross over to uh, Perga, Pisidian, Antioch. They go up to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And they're having great success in planting congregations, though there is also some level of persecution. And those that are resistant to the truth of Scripture stoned Paul outside of Derby and left him for dead. By the way, do you remember what his response was? When he came to himself, he got up and he did what? He went right back into Derby and continued to speak the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's a sermon we need today. Amen. Then... He and his companions, Paul and his companions, went back to each town where they had planted a congregation and established servant leaders in those congregations. There in Acts 14, starting at verse 21, they preached the good news in that city, city of Derbe, and won a large number of disciples after being stoned. Then they... Returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said, including the man who got stoned. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. I bet you dollars to donuts that whatever English translation of verse 23 that you have, you are going to find that they all agree with the NIV rendering of that verse. They may say they chose elders for them, but every major English translation agrees that in context, the they is Paul and Barnabas. The ones who were elders of the church, actually apostles, that if that's applied to Barnabas in Acts. They chose elders for the church. The two recognized apostle elders, the missionaries, who established those congregations they were the ones that raised up servant leaders into recognized leadership in those congregations do you know what the process was I got three words for you do you know what it is I don't know I got three more do you know what they are scripture doesn't say because in English doesn't is a word Okay, make it four. Scripture does not say. Neither Acts 1, Acts 6, nor Acts 14 talk about the nuts and bolts of how the selection process was done. What is obvious is that the apostles, the elders, 
recognized the need for servant leadership in these congregations, and they chose the elders for them. Did they give the group the opportunity to put forth men that they believed would fit the need? I got three words for you. I don't know. I got three more. But I suspect, in other words, Eric Evans, never to be humble opinion, I suspect they did. You know why? Because it's logical. It's logical. But Scripture, we have to posit, is silent on that. What we do see is that the process included prayer and fasting and a genuine seeking of God's guidance. We also see that those brought into servant leadership were committed to the Lord. That that phrase committed is given over to, trusted to the Lord. And trust was placed in them that God would lead them and lead through them. So, so far, since we're going to finish this next week, okay, don't draw any big conclusions. I just want you to look at and meditate and read what it says, okay? What we do see in Acts as the New Testament pattern for recognizing servant leadership within the body of Christ follows these consistent elements. Look, when the need arises, the congregation is made aware. Two, proven and trusted candidates are raised up and presented for consideration to the elders. They then are examined by the current servant leadership, examined, vetted by the current servant leadership. Four, God's counsel is diligently sought through prayer and fasting. As we are going through this time, before you fill out a nomination form, I'm going to ask you that you follow that pattern and that you pray and that you fast before you turn in that nomination. Fair? Okay. The newly recognized servant leaders, whether elders or deacons, were then presented to the congregation again with prayer and they were lifted up to God and trust was given that God would lead through them. Does it sound familiar? It should. It is the basic pattern, the basic process that we are using and we plan to continue to use. Okay? Today, nomination forms are available for anybody who would like to fill one out. They are on a small table right next to the coffee bar out there. You guys know where that is. We have separated the elder and deacon nomination apart from the trustee a nomination. Uh, but there are plenty of, of forms out there for anybody who would like to take one. And if we run out, we can certainly print some more. Okay? 
But I do want to make sure you understand the trustee nomination is a separate form. There's reason for that. There's a little bit of difference between what they do and what the elders and the, the deacons are expected to do. Uh, but those forms are available for you today. They need to be returned by December 3rd. So you don't have to make a decision today. In fact, I would tell you not to. But if there's somebody you have in mind, I want you to pick up a form. And I want you to prayerfully, with fasting, consider before you fill it out. And after you filled it out, I want you to prayerfully consider before you turn it in. Okay? Because what we do here in this process is important because we're talking kingdom work. We're talking about Jesus and moving forward the plans of God, being a part of his kingdom in this location. And we need the best leadership available to us. Can you agree with me on that? Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. This is the basic process. We see it in scripture. And I'm going to end with this. What is biblical, we should continue to do. Now next week, we will see what Paul says in dealing with um, leaders who don't lead well. And we're going to look at what scripture says about length of service. And, and, and we'll talk about how you can step up to wait tables and allow elders to be able to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you that you did not leave us alone, that you do give us your spirit, that you have given us your inspired word your spirit-filled word that continues to guide us. And Father, if we have fallen away from what your word says at any point in our life on any singular thing, I pray, Father, that you bring that up, that you bubble it up, that you give us an opportunity to repent and to realign ourselves with you. As we move through this process of elder and deacon selection, trustee selection um, Father what we want is what your will is and as we individually pray and as we fast we pray Father that you will continue to point us in the direction you would have this body go and we continue to Father to ask you to remind us that it is not about us it is about your son and that everything we do here needs to be about Jesus so that we are about Jesus and your business and your kingdom when we leave here. Continue to use us for your glory, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.